Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 17 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. Today, I'd like to talk about virtues of health. And this concept has evolved a bit over these past two weeks, and it's admittedly been a little bit of a challenge to get this episode recorded for various life circumstances and formulation of the topic and the experiences that have gone into learning and listening and determining what it was that was best to be highlighted here. And in any case, this is how it has distilled down, and I'm appreciating the various interruptions to programming that happened to grant me the perspective needed to proceed today. And this concept came to me through the inspiration of my oldest son's sixth grade class. And in the Waldorf curriculum in the sixth grade, they study the medieval times, and they experience a chivalry project. And in our to and fro between Oregon and Michigan this year, he has missed much of the year, but he landed right in time for the launch of the chivalry project. And there are a various number of assignments they have, good deeds, acts of service, reflections, and it culminates in a knighting ceremony where they share their summary, the teacher gives reflection, the community can offer reflection, they take a bow, and they are then knighted into the kingdom of their school. And this was my first experience with such a ceremony. And other parents who have had children go through in earlier grades noted that this one was particularly robust. You know, each child took a fair amount of time and as did the teacher and the parents and the community in reflection. And one thing that I'm always impressed with in my experiences of these more global programs is the undivided attention, the slow but acceptedly slow pace of the program to allow for everyone to have the time that they need to be seen and heard and valued. And from the first to the last, you know, it was a good hour and a half of listening to each individual speak and hear their reflections. And there's truly the same energy and intention provided to the first as to the last student. And I find that remarkable amongst the peers and within the audience and really appreciated that as a lesson personally as well. As there are certainly times when we think, okay, like next but you could see the importance of each of them having their moment and initially when I was considering this concept 
I came first to courage, but as I reflected on the virtues of knighthood, as I learned more about the ceremony, I realized this is just one of seven virtues. So rather than make that the overarching topic, it became a component. And ever relating what we're discussing here back to osteopathy and to health, I considered virtues of health as the concept. And so we're going to move through these seven and talk about some practical reflections and applications of these and see what we can do to be knightly in our journey toward health. The first of these is courage. And courage, you know, if you close your eyes, say the word courage and what comes up, you know, it's this big and bold and brave. And sometimes we consider that to be the absence of fear, you know, a fearless person, somebody who can face anything without hesitation. And I would challenge, and particularly through this project, that that's not quite the case. That courage oftentimes involves things that do induce a fair amount of fear. But courage comes when we face that fear and move forward anyway. And there was a quote from the play from this class, which was King Arthur, that courage is facing fear and doing that which you thought you could not do. And I paused when they said that, and I looked it up and tried to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, I was sourcing it appropriately. And admittedly, I couldn't find an adequate source. I'm telling you, it's from the sixth grade play, King Arthur. But if we think about it related to our process of and our seeking of and our nurturing of health, facing fear and doing that, which you thought you could not do, And where in your process of growing your definition and your experience of health might you have done this? Or might you need to do this? You know, is there something that you were afraid to further investigate? You know, sometimes we have symptoms and we don't want to really know the deeper answer. But are we able to do that? Are we able to be honest, present that complaint or concern and move forward with the diagnostic testing, understanding that we might get an answer that we don't appreciate or can't you know, deal with, but trusting that we'll find the strength to do so and do that which we could not do. As a physician, you know, there are times as well, we you know step into the unknown and we do our best to be prepared, but we're also one-on-one, real-time with patients. And this is something I thought about a lot recently. And, you know, we're often hit with questions and oftentimes we have the answer and sometimes we don't. And the best case scenario when we don't know is to say that we don't, which can be a fearful place for a physician who is meant to have the answer. But that we will look and we will seek the answer and we will contact colleagues, you know, and get references and then communicate back to the patient. That we might take information that they have, that they've found in their research, and ensure that it's a quality source and that it matches up. And again, that the experts in the field that might be related to their complaint or concern and investigational findings is appropriate and accurate and up-to-date. And with my own health, I often see 
particularly in this last year with a number of unfoldings, having to really change the mindset and all those tools that I had to cultivate health and to sustain myself were kind of taken away. And that leaves you with the unknown, which can often be perceived as a fearful place, but stepping forward anyway and taking on different challenges and shifting the mindset and moving into that, which I thought I could not do. So how can you practice courage, courage and health, both as the patient, as the individual, as the person, and as the physician, the professional providing care? Next is justice. And when we think of justice, <clears throat> I challenge us to consider the highest standards, being fair, being impartial, and everyone getting that which they need to be successful. We talk about this a lot in our house with three children. There's always the sense of injustice, of unfairness, of a lack of impartiality between themselves, from the parents. And over and over again, we will repeat, fair or just is not everyone getting the same thing. It's everyone getting that which they need to be successful. And that requires a broad scope. It requires more humanity. It requires nuance. It requires understanding. But it's really the only way to have an equitable experience. And I intentionally say equitable and not equal. Because equal doesn't necessarily mean just or fair. So when we seek justice for ourselves, you know, assessing our own situation and what challenges we have that might be more than others, what advantages we have that might put us ahead of others in a circumstance, distilling down to what it truly is that we need to be successful in health, asking for it, advocating for it, taking an active role in achieving it and learning the skills that we need to get there. As a physician, this is one that can be really challenging with patients, especially when we have standards of care, evidence-based medicine, protocols, and they do often work for the masses. But patients are also individuals and the recommendations might apply to them. They might apply to them with some exception. They might apply to them with the need for additional supportive care or understanding you know, of interactions of other medications or dietary needs or life circumstances. What is their environment like? What is their home situation? What nutrition can they achieve and afford and create for themselves? And advocating for our patients in that way that from one to the next, there's often something different and unique that that patient needs to find success in health. And that's really where the good work happens when we're able to see that individuality, to advocate for it, and to be supportive of the patient, to acknowledge for them that in their uniqueness, there may be special challenges or again, special gifts that are present for them and helping them to see how to utilize their strengths and how to be aware of and address their weaknesses as they move forward into health. So how can you advocate for justice for yourself and for others in the pursuit of health? Next is mercy. 
and mercy considering compassion and forgiveness. And this is one that's often quite challenging to apply to ourselves. I found, at least personally, that we're often quite good at being forgiving for others or extending compassion outward, but oftentimes we're our own toughest critic and you know we highlight only that which we didn't do well and I speak very personally from my own experience but it's so important to extend that compassion and forgiveness inward first and I think about this in terms of health for myself when I look at my history regarding nutrition and growing up you know for various reasons I ate a lot of processed foods I ate mostly grain I ate a exclusively bread for the better part of two years and I think of my you know college room and ramen noodles with like extra packets of the flavoring and you know Taco Bell bean burritos and things that when I tell it to my kids it is like this horror story and they look at me in disbelief that I've consumed pop-tarts and all these different foods in the phase of my life and you know, at the time, I was operating with the best knowledge that I had. I didn't really demonstrate knowingly any sensitivities to these foods, and I was a relatively high-performing, athletic, academic, musical person. And in my later life, as knowledge was gained, you know, I made changes accordingly, um, necessarily in some situations and electively in others. And sometimes I will pause and think, you know, oh, if only I had, or I can't believe I did that or ate that. And it has taken a lot to be compassionate to self and understand that that was what happened and to move forward with it. And I see that a lot with patients. You know, they sometimes have a hard time reconciling with previous behaviors or current behaviors as they seek to make a change. And that can be very undermining because you think, well, I spent all those years doing that. What's the point of even trying now? And taking that pause, forgiving the past, forgiving the present, and moving forward, and probably with some daily acts of compassion and forgiveness because we're not going to get it right every time. And in medicine as well, again, we're always operating from the highest level of care and excellence and standards and being up to date with information we are indeed still human. So sometimes we get it wrong. And sometimes we get it wrong collectively with big recommendations. And then new information comes out and we have to change them. And it can be frustrating on multiple ends when that happens. You know, patients will come and say, well, a year ago, this was the right thing to do. And now it's the wrong thing to do. And the answer is yes. And we're doing the best we can with the information that we have. And all we can do is be compassionate certainly be proactive on always seeking the most up-to-date information, listening for the application of these recommendations manifest in people, and being willing to adjust. You know, that's humanity for it as well. And just generally, extending compassion and forgiveness to each other is also helpful because resentment and holding grudges does no good for anyone. And physiologically, they're finding, you know, the shifts in the augmentation of disease from holding those kind of stressful feelings that resentment can bring. So how are we extending mercy in our daily interaction with health, with ourselves, as physicians, with our patients, and to each other in the community? 
Next is generosity. And in a modern interpretation of the knightly virtues, one that I really appreciated looking at generosity was to create a strong community and give of oneself. And I loved that that first part was there. To create a strong community was the first part of generosity. And it speaks to that integral weaving nature of being generous. You know, when we reach out, when we give of ourselves, you're automatically creating these connections. And oftentimes they come back, but they don't have to. You know, and that's the best type of generosity when we're sending out and giving of ourselves without the expectation for return. Thinking of what our best talents might be. And I'm certainly a person who often highlights what didn't go so well and you know, thinks about strengthening weaknesses. But at the same time, there is much to be said for honoring that which is strong, that which we're predisposed to do and highlighting that, especially in community. Seeing what comes naturally to you. Where are you strong? What can you offer that's going to strengthen and enrich the experience of those around you? So you might be a great nutrition advocate. You might cook really well. You might be able to share healthy meals with friends where it's enjoyable and it's nourishing and it doesn't feel scientific or dietary or restrictive. You might naturally be the one who reaches out, you know, who remembers dates and anniversaries and highlights that for folks and it might trigger them to do so as well. How are you generous with yourself? You know, what do you need to be successful? And are you giving that adequately to yourself? Be that time, time with people, time alone, time to reflect, time for creativity, time for exercise. Where are you carving that out generously for yourself? And as physicians, there was a recent article in the New York Times talking about the exploitation of physicians and nurses in medicine and that's quite often true. Reading the article, much of it rings true, you know, that we you know, don't close the computer or we don't just leave when the clock ticks a certain time because we know the implications of leaving work undone and notes unsigned and conversations wide open. And I think it's important for physicians to take that lens and look, are we being generous with ourselves? You know, how are we being generous with patients? And perhaps look where that balance gets shifted erroneously and try to bring it back. And it can be hard to be honest with ourselves about what margins we need. And that generosity, you know, more is better until, until we have nothing left to give to ourselves, to our families, to our communities, to our patients. And so this one, I think it's important again to check how you're applying that to yourself before you look into how you're applying it externally. So let's think about generosity and credit the strength it has for weaving connection into community and the importance of applying it appropriately to ourselves so we can be sustainably giving. Next is faith. You think of trust, integrity, staying true to a promise. Faith in oneself, we think of confidence and you know, how do we believe that we can be well? And this is a question I often bring to patients. Again, I often see patients for complaints of pain, 
dysfunction, low energy, not feeling or being well. And many times in a history, I will ask them, when did they last remember being well? And if they cannot, or if it's such a remote memory that they can't reliably see it, you know, in their mind's eye, then I ask them if they truly believe they can be well and what that would look like. And that ability to have faith that you can achieve the health goal that you've set for yourself is critical in finding success. And, you know, sometimes we even need to imagine through it. You know, we need to look and see ourselves beyond that point of wellness. I've overachieved. I've gone beyond what I thought was possible. Remembering that everyone's goal might be very different. For a very debilitated patient, it might just be being able to sit in a chair for more than an hour at a time during the day. And that's their goal, and that's where we need to begin. Even that, they need to believe that they can do that. They are capable of achieving that. Having that faith, having that trust in themselves and in their capacity for health and healing. And recognizing that it can be modified both upward and downward. There are fluctuations in life and there are circumstances, there are exposures and injuries that happen that force us to reevaluate. What is health for me now? What is health for me in one month, in one year, in 10 years? And adjust our expectations and our behaviors accordingly. For physicians, having faith in oneself, having faith in your knowledge, having faith in the physiology of the patient, having faith in the health system. There are multiple levels where faith is called into question and is challenged and being resolute. And at least some of those markers can help support the others that might waver. We talked about just moments ago, that article in the New York Times looking at how the system is exploiting both physicians and nurses. It can be hard to have faith in the health system, but we can have faith in each other and in the participants in the health system that we truly are seeking to be supportive, to provide educated guidance to patients, to provide life-saving and sustaining and supportive care, and that there is room for progress, and we will continue to fight together toward what's right, to do the right thing day by day, one by one with our patients, and to continue to help hold each other up. You know, sometimes when faith is waning, we need to look to an external support who's had a similar experience who can say, I know it's tough. I know it seems like the odds are stacked against you, but we can do this and here's how. So how do we apply faith in our pursuit of health for ourselves and for our patients? Next is nobility. High moral principles and ideals, upholding one's convictions, even when no one is watching. And nobility, I really appreciated sitting with because often noble seems lofty and elitist, but noble is really the heart of these virtues and upholding all of them, even when no one's around to witness it. You know, we can be on our best behavior when someone's watching, but when we do, when we're on our own, is truly the mark of a virtuous person. For ourselves, you know, if we're applying recommendations for the improvement of our health, 
are we able to do that even when we're on our own? You know, if we've committed to a certain amount of exercise or a certain amount of mental health management or certain food intake or timing of food intake, sometimes we're good at doing that with an audience when we're announcing it to people or when folks are around. How are we when we're on our own? You know, when it's late at night and we should go to bed and instead we might be snacking or on social media or things that we know aren't serving our health. How can we challenge ourselves to practice nobility and integrity and do the right thing because it's the right thing to do? And again, I'll often allude to parenting. And this is a concept I'm still holding on to. It does at times feel lofty. And there are certainly temptations to use incentivization, you know, bribery, if you will, to get my kids to do the right thing. We think about grades, and certainly it's nice to be motivated to do good work to get a good grade. But I would still like to take it one level deeper and to do good work for the sake of doing good work. You respect the time the teacher has put into a project, so you give your time back. You respect that you're going to turn out this product that you know, you're know you going to reflect on and see for years to come and you want it to be the highest quality that you can put out because if you're going to put your time and energy into it let's put the best time and energy that you have into it in that moment as a physician you know, this is something that we take an oath to provide the greatest level of care that we can and that means as well, keeping up with recommendations and con- continuity of learning, going to conferences. And again, if we don't know, seeking the right resources and connecting the patient to them appropriately. It's also putting high quality into notes, even when we're tired for the sake of the communication. And there are certainly boundaries and frustrations with electronic health records but knowing that the level of information that we put into our documentation can influence the care the patient receives going forward. So how are we noble for our health as professionals and as personal individuals? The seventh is hope. Inspiration, trust, wanting something to happen. And we touched on this a bit with faith and how is hope differentiated from that i think hope it's important to note is knowing that there's the possibility for something else and i don't want to say something more or better but there's something beyond you know us in that moment in that circumstance and even just that creation of the possibility you know, can be enough to get someone through a really rough time or even through a moderately rough time, a mediocre time when they're seeking other. And so do we give that to ourselves? Do we find that through reading? Do we find that through conversation, through music or other artistic mediums that inspires us, you know, to hang on, to take our surviving and turn it into thriving and move forward? And hope for physicians as well. Hope that there is opportunity for improvement. You know, that, again, we can read the data and know the statistics, but also know that there are sometimes cases that, you know, 
do better than we ever expected. And we can hold out that hope with and for our patients. And systemically, as we talked about, we can hold out hope that there's room for improvement and reform in our health systems as well. So how do you maintain hope? How do you create hope? How do you become a source of inspiration for others in health? So I'm going to review the seven virtues of knighthood, courage, justice, mercy, generosity, faith, nobility, hope. I'm a big fan of journaling, and since there's seven, I think it'd be a great exercise for each day of the week for the next week to go through them. Start with courage either tomorrow or on Sunday or Monday if you want to start it at a uh, fixed point in time in the week that makes sense to you. And explore how are you courageous? How could you be courageous? Where could you face a fear that's been underlying and do that which you thought you could not do? And then the next day move into justice, then mercy, then generosity, then faith, then nobility, then hope. Thinking about being a knight in the kingdom of your health and how to implement these characteristics accordingly. Thank you for joining me. I hope you find some inspiration in this and I extend gratitude to the Sun class at the Siskiyou School here in Ashland, Oregon for giving me the inspiration for this episode. And I appreciate the opportunity to be found now on iTunes. If you're able to subscribe and rate and review there, that would be great. And visit our website at thisosteopathiclife.com. I'll be putting up more written information there, articles, book reviews, reflections, and some exciting new discoveries happening later this summer as well. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.